You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, alongside Ben Folks, as always. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, when I say we meet here, this week I'm talking about a different location because we are currently in your basement. That's right. Owing to the holiday, Labor Day today, uh, we thought it might be a little bit less of a kid rich environment if we recorded up here rather than at my house because my at least my two boys are at home rumbling around the house causing trouble as they so often are so we decided to come over here to record but right as we were going to hit record your family came home that's right so we are uh we're up here at casa de folks in the basement still in what i got to consider a fairly uh kid plentiful location yeah we we're probably hear them stomping around upstairs while we're recording this also, I don't know if you noticed it on your way in, we're in the basement, which is also home to a Barbie dream house. Yeah, big time. It's like a three-story Barbie dream house over there that my wife found on the side of the road that somebody just gave away free, and it was the greatest thing to ever happen to my two daughters. They, One of them, when she was going to sleep that night, that first night that we brought it in, wanted to get up out of bed to go downstairs and check and make sure it was really real. And that it had not been just like some beautiful hallucination she'd had about her life. And then that way, with that knowledge, she could comfortably sleep. So the pull of the Barbie dream house might prove to be too much. They might run down here, have to get in on some of this stuff. So anything could happen is what I'm saying. Free Barbie dream house in this economy. I know. Wow. We had a lot of fun imagining, because their first question, obviously, was why would anyone throw out this Barbie dream house? I mean, that's a valid question. I like to see, I think the first more reasonable explanation was that maybe somebody's kid got older, went off to college or some shit. Mine was somebody followed through on a threat. Yeah. Somebody was like, if you guys don't get your shit together, I'm taking the Barbie dream house. I'm putting it out on the street and putting a sign on it says free. And you know, a thing will be snatched up in a hurry. And, uh, you know, they thought she was bluffing and she wasn't. If you don't get either in or out of that bath right away, yep, we're going to leave the Barbie dream house by the curb. Long story short, now your neighbors own the Barbie dream house. Ben, luckily for the listeners of the co-main event podcast, it's a pretty big week in mixed martial arts this week. We're coming off a UFC China event that I get the impression almost nobody here in America watched, and yet seems like potentially a fairly landmark event for the UFC. We're rolling right into UFC 242 Fight Week over in Abu Dhabi, obviously, where Habib Nurmagomedov and Dustin Poirier are going to try to unify the UFC lightweight championship. And uh, you got an Invicta event on Friday where I believe they are running a one-night tournament. And then on uh, Saturday night, because obviously UFC 242 is going to air in the middle of the day here in America due to the time difference, but... Saturday night, I believe, Bellator is going to be starting up, not only starting up the featherweight tournament, but also Ryan Bader putting that heavyweight title on the line against Czech Congo in a fight we've all been waiting for. Oh, boy. Just really going to go ahead and tempt the MMA gods like that, huh? Yeah, man. It's all systems go. Greatest heavyweight in the world, Ryan Bader. Going to go in there and throw it up against Czech Congo. So we got a lot to talk about this week. Before I forget, just want to let everybody know, just a bit less than five months now until my second novel drops. Have you guys pre-ordered The Blaze yet? It's a thriller mystery, and it's going to hit the shelves January 21st, 2020. And I know that you guys have heard me talk about this before, but pre-orders are very important to print authors, and they're instrumental to whether or not my publishing company is going to let me keep on writing books. So long story short, I need your support. Go out, or hell, do it from the privacy of your own home. But pre-order The Blaze today. A hardcover version if you got the money, but, you know, I'll accept the Kindle version. You can get it over at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, IndieBound.com, or wherever fine books are sold. Do your friend Chad a favor. Go pre-order The Blaze. 
Another great way to look fresh and toss a little money in the CME coffers is to pick up a Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt or Dundasso t-shirt. Those are always available on demand all the time whenever you want them over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and pick up some CME merchandise. We got music again this week from our guy, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more on Twitter at The Fifth Element or Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. And again, as you guys know by now, that's the word the with an A. The Fifth Element. Everybody knows that. Three rounds as usual this week in the co Event Podcast. In round number one, Zhang Wiley is just what the UFC wants. A fighter from an emerging market who defeated Jessica Andrade in a fight short enough to fit on a Twitter video. Could she be a transformative figure in the MMA landscape? And in round number two, speaking of emerging markets, the UFC has a new contract to do events in Abu Dhabi, and they hope a bunch of Russians are going to turn out to watch Habib Nurmagomedov over there. But can Dustin Poirier spoil the party? And in round number three, this weekend, Bellator begins that 16-man featherweight Grand Prix we were talking about, and the official position of the co-main event podcast is that you ought to watch that shit. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Oscar Eagle. Oh, okay. So long dead film director, Oscar Eagle. Taking the time to contact the co-main event podcast from Beyond the Grave. Yeah, he been writes, dead like 90 years. So Jessica Andrade and our man Easy Dos Santos went to China and got themselves KO'd. It's like Brazil all over again. Is fighting, is fighting dangerous fighters who have a home field advantage just too big of a risk? Ben, we got to pour a little out yeah. this week for our guy Easy Dos Santos. The Octagon's most under-the-radar six-fight, seven-fight win streak is over. Snapped. At the hands of Li Jing Liang in the co-main event over there at UFC China. Third round TKO via punches. Big win for Li, Li, Li Jing Liang. Yeah, and for Easy Dos Santos, maybe the upside is nobody saw it? Yeah. Maybe that's what you tell yourself? The upside is nobody knew you had that win streak anyway. <laughs> yes, yeah. And as far as they know, maybe it's still going. Yeah, and they, they probably did not get up at 3 a.m. to watch you lose this fight. I kind of feel bad for, for Easy here because... This was not the strategy I would have expected out of Li Jingliang, like based on what we've seen out of him before. But he he managed to look good, like standing and striking from a distance, especially late in the fight, and had some real power that he was able to hurt Easy Dos Santos with. And I would think that you'd go back to the drawing board after this one and be like, man, that I was really preparing for a whole different kind of fight from that guy. And he surprised me. And really took it to him there. Like, late in that fight, you could tell both guys really feeling it a little bit. Feeling the uh, the pace of the fight and everything. But then, it was just like... The thing... Okay, but the thing I, I wanted to talk about, though, is the home f- field advantage thing. Do you think that played any sorts of a role here? Like, you gotta go over to China. It's a long trip. You gotta do all the... But, like, late in this fight, and as soon as... Li Jingliang gets a little bit of an edge, you know, the crowd's behind him, he's feeling that, that energy and everything, and he really jumped on him and got that finish. Do you think that that fight goes exactly the same if you have it in Las Vegas or wherever? Man, it's so hard to say. Obviously, you and I talk to a lot of fighters, and you are almost never going to talk to a fighter who is going to come across and admit that anything like that bothered them. In fact, most of the fighters that I think you interview will say that they don't even hear or are aware of the crowd during a fight especially a fight where there's a lot of crowd noise. I feel like weirdly enough, it's easier for the fighters to be conscious of stuff that's going on in the audience when they're, when it's quiet in there, when there's not, when like, if you're on a prelim, let's say, and there's a much smaller audience, like if, if you're not, if it's not a lot of crowd noise, you're going to hear when someone yells something at you. But I think when it's just white noise, people have a tendency to just tune it out. And maybe it gives the, like the fighter with that home field advantage, a little lift, at times to hear the crowd get behind them. But just in terms of my interactions with MMA fighters, I've never really talked to anyone who at least would admit to being rattled by the crowd. If anything, it seems to me like when you go a long way to have a fight, it's almost everything outside the fight that can get in your way uh, up to the point where you walk out. And and at that, at that point, I think everybody pretty much universally says at that point, it's just a fight. It's just you and this other person in the cage. It's something we've all done a bunch of times before. And so you kind of like snap back to what your, uh, 
what you're used to, but I think it's the travel. I think it's the, uh, like the time difference. I think that it's, you know, trying to cut weight when you are on the road, especially if you have like a, you know, 16 hour travel day right in the middle of what would ordinarily be your weight cut. And obviously that's why you see a lot of people show up to international locations super early so they can make sure that all of their, uh, their stuff is on point. But like during the actual fight, uh, I mean, I don't know. I kind of doubt it unless we are being unilaterally lied to, which is a yeah. possibility. Yeah, always a possibility. I can see if it goes to a decision, sometimes it could affect the judges and, and that way yeah. it can affect yeah, the outcome. Yeah, that's a good point. I could also see how the crowd energy really getting behind somebody when if that person gets a little bit of a momentum going in the fight like they hit you with a good shot and you kind of stumble backwards and the crowd really seizes on that i could see how then the your opponent gets fired up by the crowd getting behind them and by that that initial response making it seem like a really big moment and i could also see how there might be some part of you where even if you thought like okay that was just a minor stumble but the crowd is like sensing that you're close to being finished that the adrenaline would get pumping there and maybe too much of it and maybe leave you with nothing left after you know, that, like that emotional energy that you would expend. I could see how that could maybe affect you. But in these two instances, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk more about the, the main event later on, but to me, it seemed like easy. Dos Santos was in a tough fight. One that we knew was going to be a tough fight, but ended up being a tough fight in a different way than what we expected. And then Andraj maybe just, did not have the plan or the initial right response to what she saw really early on from yeah. Jean. Have you ever talked to, well, I'm sure you have. I, I've come across it fairly regularly, but fighters who don't really game plan, fighter, yeah. fighters who just go out there. Well, like they'll, they'll prepare for stuff, obviously, and they'll watch tape on their opponent. Most people do, but I've talked to multiple people and actually Dustin Poirier, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago was one of them who doesn't like specifically game plan all that much anymore. And that dude's had about 40 fights. So you can see that at this point, like he has figured out a way that works for him. But a lot of people say, you know, they don't like to put together too specific of a game plan in case they don't get what they expect to get from their opponent. Right. And, and some people have had troubles in the past. I think, uh, shifting gears and go into plans B and C when they don't get exactly what they expect out of their opponent. So a lot of people just go out there and wing it. So they, so they don't even have to, uh, I mean, I guess they're not winging it. That's not the right way to put it, but they don't go out there with like a, a single goal in mind. So just in case that thing doesn't happen, they, uh, they don't have to like regroup as the fight is happening. Right. And I mean, there's also that you don't want to get caught up in thinking too much about what your opponent is going to do. I can understand. I mean, you've heard that, I'm sure, from fighters a lot, where they're like, I'm not thinking about what he's going to do. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. Yeah, you basically can't ask a fighter about their opponent right. because that's just what they're going to tell you. Yeah. I mean, there's been some where they they have an ability to be honest and be like, here's what he does well. Here's what I, I think I could capitalize on, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you have to be thinking about, like, here are the things, my plans for what I plan to do during that fight. But uh, if you go out there and you get a completely different look from that guy, you know, it's like you're going out there to, to face what you think is a passing team and suddenly they show up and they're running nothing but the option. And you're yeah. like, well, we were not prepared for that. That could yeah. be trouble. Next question this week comes to us from Jen, Dennis Johansson, who writes, would the UFC 242 main card be more or less interesting if it was only lightweight fights? Instead of Blaze versus Abdurakamov, we got uh, Pakalan versus Azatar. I think, did he write this just so I had to say all those names right yeah. in a row? Yeah, that was a... I'm sure I nailed it. It was a ruse. Uh, would it make the main card more or less interesting? Since we have all these shows anyway, would it not Would not a themed main card make some events easy to remember? I did not realize this until we got this email and I looked at this, that all of the fights on the UFC 242 main card, except for that one scrap between Curtis Blades and Shamil Abdurakamov, uh, are in fact lightweight fights. Yeah. But I'm going to say less interesting because... You know why they put this heavyweight fight on there, hoping to get a stoppage. Yeah. Because the rest of these could go could go the distance. Right. Well, also, I feel like telling people the main card is nothing but lightweights, that appeals to the hardcore fan, but you already had them with this fight card anyway. Yeah. The uh, telling people it's nothing but heavyweight fights. Right. Different story. Then people are like, okay, that sounds like... You know, big dudes hitting each other is something that the casual sports fan can get into. So, yeah, they, they get super into that. I don't know. I don't think you lose anything by breaking up the flow here of, you know, four out of five main card lightweight fights. Yeah. If anything, it seems like a quirk of scheduling that we even got that. Yeah. Right. Well, and that 
you've got a ton of really, good lightweight really fighters. They want to be really, really sure that they have a main event to put together. <laughs> right. So, like, got Paul Felder there hanging out just in case. I think Tony Ferguson is on standby for this one, too. Oh, right? is he really? I believe I, I heard something to that effect. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, somebody is going to be able to get in there and fight with somebody in the main event. Let's say that. Rest assured, there's going to be a fight. Uh, next question this week comes to us from famed Irish sportscaster, or broadcaster anyway, Eamon Dunphy. Oh, writes to, the show fairly often. Good to hear from him. So the UFC are headed back to Abu Dhabi. When that was announced and with Habib as the headliner, I thought to myself, interesting. I attended the last event there and it was fucking awesome in all caps. A quick look back at the UFC 112 card and you were blinded by the talent that was on the show. Anderson Silva, my boy Damian Maya, the champ BJ Penn, Frankie Edgar, Matt Hughes, Henzo Gracie, Dos Anjos, Alexander Gustafson, Phil Davis, Mark Munoz, Kendall Grove, and Paul Kelly all fought. Having stayed in the host hotel, I also got to meet GSP, Robbie Lawler, uh, Little and Big Nog, Herb Dean, and shared a pint with Burt Watson who could tell some stories. Roll on UFC 242, and outside of the main and co-main event, that card is a disappointment. What has become of the UFC pay-per-view? Isn't loading a card with local regional talent a Bellator trick, or is it just a case of keeping uh, Nermi sweet? Uh, this is an interesting point, because... At least the main event of UFC 112 is regarded as one of the worst UFC title fights of all time. Yeah, that didn't go great. So it's interesting to look back maybe through a little bit of rose-colored glasses, but also to look at the lineup of UFC 112 and be like, man, if you mentioned UFC 112 to anybody in the past, they would probably snort and be like, well, that one was shitty. But then you look at this list and it's a goddamn star-studded affair. That's right. Especially by today's standards. Yeah. And we talked about it last week, how... It does seem at least partially like when you have all these fight night events, you end up with main and co-main events in fight night events that could be really used to bolster the main card of a, a pay-per-view. But they're not. You just you're spread too thin there. I do think there's also I mean, there's a little bit of like, all right, we're going to try to see how many Magomeds we can get on uh, this card. We're going to try to get, you know, you know, Mirbek Tizimov is going to have to fight on this thing. Like, that's just a given that kind of stuff. But I, I think that mainly it's we just don't have the talent to go around anymore because we're spreading it out throughout the year for so many different events. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think we'll talk about this more in round number one. But with the UFC now having a new I think it's a five year contract to basically bring events to Abu Dhabi and obviously getting an event that came off exactly the way they wanted it for uh, China this past weekend. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the future of international expansion and whether or not we continue along these fight cards that appear to be more regionalized, where a lot of the fight cards are as as uh, legendary broadcaster Eamon Dunphy points out, kind of geared toward that market, not necessarily geared toward the American market or the European market uh, or the South American market or the Canadian market, but like geared toward the the city and the the country where the UFC is trying to maybe find some new fans and open up some new revenue streams. Like in some ways I feel like it makes sense to do that, especially early on. But I think as we move down the road a little bit, I always get the impression that like fight fans just want to see good fights. So like if you are uh I actually think we've heard from fight fans in the UK before that have like uh, complained a little bit like the UFC just thinks that we want to see English fighters but in fact I want to see the good fighters like yeah. I don't want to see the the these like B-list guys who happen to be from England like when the UFC comes to town I want to see George St. Pierre or whoever yeah well especially a lot of the things that they would say was hey I saw these guys when they were in cage rage or yeah. whatever you know I saw these guys when they were around here on the more regional circuit the, the exciting thing about the UFC coming to town isn't that the UFC is going to show me the fighters that I've already been watching here locally. It's that the UFC is going to bring the UFC fighters who are the best from all over the world. And yeah, I think that that's, that is mostly true that if you are a real fight fan and you're not just going because, okay, it's a novelty that doesn't usually come to your city and now here it is and you're going to go check it out. Like if you're going because you're a real hardcore fight fan, then you want to see the people who are, who matter and like who are good right now and who, you have been interested in regardless of where they come from. Next question this week comes to us from Richard Vernon who writes okay. ESPN plus English, the English actor, Richard Vernon. I have no idea. Yeah. Let's talk about the service they provide. I have ran into this same issue twice since jumping on for UFC 238. I know the China card was going off early, but I had an all day drinking and golfing outage. 
So I wake up around 7.15 a.m., warm up some Lou Malnati's deep dish, and make a bloody like an adult. <laughs> like really a, painting a picture Like here. a goddamn adult. Uh, I click on the fight link on the ESPN app, hoping to fast forward to the main event. That shit goes straight live and shows Zhang bombing Andrade with knees at the finish. Same shit happened to me in the Lad versus uh, Durandamy fight. I cannot see or find a start from the beginning option. This seems like a massive flaw in the service. Am I stupid and can't find another way or what's up with that? Also, it seems like after Googling it, Richard Vernon is also the character name of the uh, the tough guy principal in Breakfast Club. Okay. Dick Vernon. So we could be going for multiple references yeah. here. So this is a thing that ESPN Plus will do. Like it will kind of autoplay live what is happening on the actual pay-per-view broadcast when you originally log on to ESPN Plus. But like, I don't know how else it would work. Like if, if it assumes that it's putting out a product for most people who are, or it's number one concern is going to be people, the people that are watching the thing live on its, uh, on its system, like, uh, I guess they could have some preemptive load screen where you could either choose to join live or like watch from the beginning. Yeah. It, that doesn't seem impossible, but like a the, start from beginning option. Yeah. At the same time, I have always said, and that's one of the reasons why I don't really believe in spoilers for a live sporting event. I always think like if you're not going to watch the sporting event live, it has to be on you sort of to avoid those those spoilers. Doesn't that shit that calculation change, though, when the shit starts at one o'clock in the damn morning? Maybe there are some uh, mitigating factors. Yeah. For an event like this. But at the same time, like you just got to you got to know where you are, know where you stand with the event and like, you know, maybe wait until you're sure that it's over. Yeah. OK. But then. So how am I going to figure out when it's over without also spoiling it for myself? Well, I mean, you could just wait. Well, I wait like six hours or something where I'm like, okay, yeah, watch now it I'm at, Watch it when you get back from your all-day golf and booze outing or whatever it is. It just seems like at some point we're putting – we're expecting an awful lot of people just to be able to enjoy this product that they've paid for. There, there is that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it too because it's also – like a, you're really trying hard to avoid spoilers or stuff like this. I managed to avoid the spoilers, but I also it's like when I clicked on the thing where it was like a main event, you know, I by the time I went to it was over and the main event had already been broken out from the rest of the streams. So you could just watch that. But in the picture of the main event, like the thumbnail image, you see Wiley Zhang landing a pretty good shot on Jessica Andrade. And you're like, are they trying to tell me something? Because often I've heard people make that complaint before that yeah. the, the thumbnail image always ruins it. And Stuff like that where you're like, it would just be really nice to be able to not have to feel like I'm navigating a minefield in order to just watch it without it being spoiled for me. I, I get the frustration there. Last question this week comes to us from Robert Lewandowski, Polish oh. football player. Okay. Professional yeah. Polish soccer player, maybe Lewandowski, depending on how you pronounce it. Let's depend we are back. Let's assume we are back in 1994 and we are about to witness Habib versus Francis Ngannou in the main event. <laughs> Can you please break it down for me like it wasn't a total fantasy and we could legitimately get excited about it? I mean, okay. that's a reasonable request as far as I'm concerned. So, but we're going to pretend it's 1994 and yet they both have 2019 skills? Yes. Okay. And they didn't have to fight through a tournament to get into this fight. Okay. Still in Abu Dhabi? We're still doing Abu Dhabi? For Why not? Sure. I mean, if you want to pretend like we're doing it in Dothan, Alabama instead, that's fine with me, but... Jim Brown on commentary? Yeah. And uh, Superkick Wallace. Yeah. Superfoot Wallace, I yeah. guess. Yeah, Bill Superfoot Wallace. Um, Well, I feel like if you're if you're Francis Ngannou, you want to get to Khabib early. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want this one to stretch out. You also... uh, You don't want to kill him. So maybe don't hit him with absolutely everything you got. Um, can you just stick your hand out on his forehead and hold him there? Just play for the decision? Yeah. Is Habib going to be able to take Francis Ngannou down? I mean, maybe. It's possible. Or is, does Francis Ngannou simply pluck Habib off his leg like a gnat? pick him up over his head and like throw him to the other side of the cage. Do like the Tank Abbott thing where Tank Abbott almost threw that guy out of the octagon. I mean, I think Francis Ngannou knocks Khabib's head off. We got to go Ngannou here, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we're really, it's not exactly a bold move on our choice to choose the guy 
who goes in with like a, you know, 95 pound weight advantage. Unless it's 1994 and we're talking about 1994 skills, at which point uh, Francis Ngannou probably throws a bunch of super ponderous punches at Habib Nurmagomedov until he misses one and falls down. And then Habib climbs on his back and like gets a rear naked choke. Yeah. That's what happens in 1994. And then... uh we look up from our Game Boys just in time to see the action finishing up. Oh, we're watching this shit on VHS cassette tape that our dad recorded off pay-per-view in the middle of the afternoon while he's at work. He does yeah. not know we're doing this. We're sitting around eating some fruit by the foots That's watching right. this shit on VHS. <laughs> anyway, that is going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter if that comes out on Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, well, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, Zhang Wiley shocks the MMA world over the weekend in the main event of UFC China, defeats Jessica Andrade and wins the Women's Strawweight Championship in just 42 seconds. Like I said, it fit on a social media video, which is, I guess, exactly what you want at this point if you're the UFC. Yeah. She becomes the first uh, Chinese UFC champion, correct? That's right. And so uh, it's all systems go in terms of the UFC's expansion into China, where, as we said last week, you don't even need to be that popular. You just need to get a tiny fraction of the population to care about your product, and you have probably opened up a significant new revenue stream for yourself. kind of a big deal if you get into even a little tiny foothold into a country with more than a billion people in it. And this really kind of couldn't have gotten any better from the UFC's financial interest point of view. If you're thinking, all right, here we go, we're doing a show in local prime time for China, we're main eventing it with a Chinese fighter fighting for a title. Not only does she win, she wins emphatically in the first minute, and it's a really shareable kind of thing so that it's easy to get it on like local news broadcasts or shared around social media. Everybody can kind of be like, oh, hey, did you hear a Chinese fighter is a UFC champion for the first time? What the hell is UFC? Never mind. Just watch this. I have the whole fight here on my phone. Yeah. like That's exactly kind of what you want. What surprised me about this fight they go out there. We all know that Jessica Andrade, her kind of approach is, I'm a mean old bulldog and I'm just going to keep coming until I, I latch on to you. Yeah. And then you're in trouble. Yeah. And we saw it in the Rose Namajunas fight where she won the title when she did not seem like the faster or the sharper fighter in the striking exchanges, but still just kept coming and eventually got a hold of Rose Namajunas the way she wanted, picked her up, slammed her, knocked her out. And it seemed like she was fighting here with the idea that Wiley Zhang does not have the power to hurt you. Yeah. Like, and right away, we saw Zhang go to work with those really quick, fast kicks. Like, in just the first 10 seconds, must have landed like three or four kicks. And I don't know if that served to just increase Andrade's urgency. Like, all right, I can't stand here at this range because I don't want to get my legs picked apart. So I need to go in and get right after her. But there wasn't a lot of guile or elusiveness to that attack it was just straight on here i come and Zhang was ready for it and nailed her a couple good hard shots and you could see really affected jessica andrage right off the bat yeah it it almost had in some ways shades of the amanda nunez cyborg knockout where uh where andrage appeared to have the attitude of like well i'm getting punched in the face right now but in a minute, this is going to turn around and go the way it always goes, where my tremendous power comes to the fore, and I am the victor because of that. Uh, not to say that we called this, because I don't know how many people called it, but we did bring up last week the idea that, hey, man, uh, if you're going over there to China for for this event and you're going to give uh, Zhang Wiley this strawway title shot against Jessica Andrade, is it possible that UFC matchmakers who watch more fights than anybody else 
know something that we don't about the way that these two fighters match up because you get through the the 42 second tko here and now in retrospect i'm kind of like hmm i wonder if this is not really as surprising and out of the box as we thought it was going to be i don't i mean what we said on the power hour one of the power rankings i believe was just gondras talking about what fight she wanted next after she successfully defended her title here which what we said was why would you just give the finger to the MMA gods that way? I believe we said both things. So now that you mention it, we actually called this twice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So then you go out there and this is what happens. You might be right. I mean, I think one of the things that uh, people said about Wiley Zhang was that they didn't exactly feel like they knew 100% what to expect out of her. Yeah. Just because they had a lot of fights. Uh, in like China and then uh, Japan and Korea, like that, the Asian kind of scene, but only had three UFC fights before this point, And people were kind of still thinking like, okay, we're not, we don't know if we have the book on her yet. So then when she comes out there and does this to Jessica Andrade, and it's like, okay, now we only 42 seconds, but we, we definitely learned some stuff there from it. It always, though, is weird to me when you can clearly look at the matchup and say, here's how the UFC business interests would like to see this one go. And this one was especially like, it kept, I kept seeing stories where they're like, oh yeah, The Rock uh, and Tom Brady and all these people like saying good luck to Wiley Zhang. And it's like, okay, first of all, you're not going to get me to believe that Tom Brady is actually like, yeah, you know, ever since uh, I saw Zhang beat uh, Tisha Torres, I was like, yeah, she could really go somewhere. Like, no, there's no way. It's... The the business side of the thing with Endeavor having a financial interest here, also having a financial interest with those guys, some of those guys being investors in the UFC, and it creates a weird feeling for me when it's like, okay, they would definitely like to see one person win because they think that that will help them make more money in a great big new market. It's always weird when you can point out and say, like, this is how the promoter would like it to go. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's just like, I, uh, I assume it's just a coincidence that Ronda Rousey tweeted to c- congratulate uh, Zhang Wiley after this thing was over, just out of the goodness of her heart. She's probably just super interested yeah. in what's going on these days. But one of the big money questions here, Ben, is how good uh, Zhang Wiley actually is. Because like you said, she came in with just three UFC appearances. Her win over Jessica Andrade, which obviously makes her the strawweight champion, so pretty good there makes her 20 and one overall. And she has not lost uh, since her first professional fight back in 2013. Yeah. You and kind like of you, throw that one out, you know? Yeah. Like, and like you said, some of the competition is not necessarily uh, verifiable to people who haven't kept up with her career. She's 30 years old at this point, but if nothing else, it seems like she could breathe new life into this uh, strawweight division where obviously Rose Namajunas is still hanging around. Uh, Joanna Jacek has a fight coming up with Michelle Watterson. Like, where does this go and how are we going to handle Zhang Wiley moving forward in terms of like a matchmaking philosophy? First of all, are we doing Zhang Wiley? Isn't that the correct way to say it? I, I guess. I mean, correct. I don't know. It, I mean, I... I think that's the Chinese formatting, right? Zhang Wiley, is that how we're going to do it? I mean, I just think you should follow your heart. Say it however you want. The people who are tuning in to this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast are used to, let's say, our uh, fast and loose handling of people's names. Okay. So I hope that they're up for, for this one. Now that you've brought it up, I'm sure we'll get like 30 emails of people probably mostly disagreeing with each other about the proper way to do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh I think there are some interesting matchups you can make for her there. And right now it seems like strawweight is a little bit of this belt being passed all around. You know, you had Rose Namajunas win it. Then you had uh, Jessica Andras win it. She loses it in her first title defense. Now Wiley Zhang has it. I would like to see a Rose Namajunas fight for her next. But it seems like Rose Namajunas maybe taking some personal time. Yeah. Which she's entitled to it. After you, know, you get slammed on your head and knocked out, I understand why you might want to take some time. Uh, if not, then the winner of that, Yoanny and Jay Chick himself, Watterson fight, that's a good one. I also heard Tatiana Suarez's name thrown around in there. I think that, you know, she's still a little early for her. But I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see where we go next, especially because Dana White was saying after this one uh, that Wiley Zhang's next fight's probably going to be in the U.S. 
So it's like you had this great big moment in China, but then you're also, you get into a situation where do you want to make her into a pay-per-view draw? Because it's, if so, it's hard to do a real pay-per-view from China because of the time difference. Either you have to have them, you know, show up early in the morning so it can be prime time here, or I don't know if you're going to have a whole lot of luck convincing North American fans, mainly like the only people who buy pay-per-views for the most part to shell out money to watch some shit at four o'clock in the morning. I don't know if she's there yet. Star wise. Or we fast forward five years and you and I are just out of a job. We're no longer even in business because the, the entire crux of the mixed martial arts world has moved to China. I feel like we can learn, we can learn some, some Chinese stuff. Nope. Too old. Uh, I will gladly mispronounce Chinese names just like I have mispronounced all kinds of other MMA fighter names. Yeah, I look forward to that. I look forward to you becoming more of a cartoonish, like, uh, comedy type figure. I'll, I'll, to be yeah. lampooned. Yes, uh, an object of fun. Do you think we'll start then getting email, listener mail questions from, like, famous Chinese gamers or something? If I had to guess, I would guess that we, that will start immediately. <laughs> now that you have voiced it. Here on the show. I've, I've given voice to the evil. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, I'm I'm scrolling through Twitter, like I do. Yeah. And my dude, Mike Perry. Okay. My dude, Mike Perry, is out of here. He's, he's commenting on a video, I believe it was on Instagram, of... Uh, and I think Errol Helwani posted this video of Dustin Poirier, and he's there with uh, – it's like at the Abu Dhabi airport, and he's getting this welcome where like all the dudes like in the – like I don't know what you call the the outfits. the You know the ones, like the all white things and the, the head covering thing. Should we just say traditional dress before you make it any more awkward? dress. I don't – but I don't know. I don't know what you call it. Anyway, he's down – he's got like his Jordans on or whatever, and he's down there at the airport, and they're doing like some kind of like – uh, you know, ceremonial kind of thing where everybody's locking arms. Uh, the from Harry Hawani, the comment: Dustin Poirier gets a warm welcome from uh, UAE locals upon landing in Abu Dhabi on Friday for UFC 242. Mike Perry responds: They were trying to put bad juju on him, but he's American, and magic doesn't work on us. You fucking kidding me? <laughs> first of all, I'm, I'm, I don't even know what is first of all here. Is it true that magic doesn't work on us, Chad? That just can't by be virtue true. of being Americans? That can't possibly be magic true. Magic works on everybody else except for us? No, magic still works on us, too. <laughs> it's possibly Mike Perry just doesn't know that. Maybe he's already been bewitched by some magic in his past. You feel like maybe that Mike Perry's problem, this what you diagnose as the problem coming out of this tweet, is that maybe Mike Perry has gone through his life with a false sense of confidence about his immunity to magic? Yes. Yeah, that's my main takeaway here. Well, then I, I'm going to pivot and give my Are You Fucking Kidding Me to you. Oh, Chad, wow. That's... Okay. Yeah. Fucking kidding me. Probably deserve that. Uh, okay, Ben, did you see this? One of the uh, more interesting unredacted documents to come out of the ongoing UFC class action lawsuit down there in Las Vegas that after the UFC bought Pride, they paid uh, Nobuyuki Sakakabara $10 million. For a non-compete, seven-year non-compete. So basically they bought Pride from him and then they were like, it would be great if you didn't get back in the business for some time. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Nobuyuki Sakakabara gets $10 million just to go do nothing? I could do that job, Chad. Hell yeah. I'm My non-compete is available for purchase starting now. I yeah, just want to throw that What do we want to open the bidding at? $10 million. <laughs> Okay. Well, all right. That's that is one way to go about it, and uh, you're not going to get it if you don't ask for it, man. That, that's true. All he had to do was just sit around and play Angry Birds on the phone, like Scott Coker did, huh? Yep. And then he, uh, that thing lapsed, I believe, uh, in late 2014, and then one and a half years later, he announced Ryzen. See, that's the part I don't get. Take your money and go home. You're ahead of the game, man. Can't. This is the only life he knows. Fight game. Oh. There's just no, that's, that's the point where you just start sipping umbrella drinks, man. Not starting up a new fight promotion. You fucking kidding me? Kidding me? Anytime anybody wants to pay me 10 million to not do anything, I'm here for that. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and undercut you and say, I will do it for half that. Not worth it. Get what you pay for. (laughs) 
That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. At last, Chad, it's about to go down in the lightweight division. We finally see UFC lightweight champion Habib Nurmagomedov back in action against UFC interim lightweight champion Dustin Poirier going down in Abu Dhabi, main event of UFC 242 on Saturday. Now, this one feels like I've been excited for it all summer, and then now that it's finally here, I'm... I. It's like I didn't quite believe that we were going to make it to this point. Yeah. I'm really excited for this fight, not only just because I think you do have two of the best lightweights in the world at this point squaring off. That's always going to be an exciting thing. Getting to see Khabib Nurmagomedov get back to work in the actual cage rather than jumping out the damn thing and going after people in the crowd. That's also exciting. And matchup-wise, I'm excited to see how this one plays out. Yeah. Because you have in Dustin Poirier a guy who, for one thing, has just become super likable, a really, I don't want to call him a lovable underdog because he is a really good fighter, and against most people, he's not going to be the underdog. But somebody who, we've seen him go up and down in this sport, and it's easy to root for him now. It's easy, especially how honest he is about the way he looks at this sport now and the the stuff he's been through. Like him talking about having 25 minutes to make life fair. To, to make sure that he earns for himself the opportunities he felt like he uh, was due based on the work he'd already put in. And then you see him go up against Khabib, who is just a goddamn wood chipper. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff we look at here, you go, all right, it's we know what you have to do, or at least we think we know what you have to do to beat Khabib. And yet, when you start to vocalize what those things are, what you're essentially saying is you just have to do something that nobody else has been able to do against him. Yeah. Clearly Habib is the puzzle that nobody has been able to figure out yet through, uh, you know, 20 odd fights he's undefeated and he's, he's had the answer for, for everything that everyone has tried to do against him. And nobody has been able to keep him from implementing his like tenacious grappling game and, and his like boundless endurance. So uh, it feels hard to pick against him in any matchup. But I do kind of feel like Dustin Poirier is a live dog here, and I do feel like the the pure matchup of styles here in this fight is kind of interesting. Yeah. And one of the things that I think makes it interesting is that I think that these guys both have tremendous cardio, and uh, you know, you could you could make the argument that Habib's endurance is his biggest strength. Like clearly he has that lifelong grappling background and, and he's got this sort of like preternatural weird prodigy grappling ability that no one can stop. Right. But and like kind of like weaponized pace. Yeah. But he's going to be there for 25 minutes. And like most people just can't uh, keep up with that, especially when he's on top of you and when he's wearing on you and he's working his game. I think that Dustin Poirier has about as good of endurance as we will see from a Habib Nurmagomedov opponent. Like if Habib can't stop him, I fully anticipate Poirier will be dangerous in rounds two and three and four. Then obviously you get up around 25 minutes. Everybody's going to start getting tired. But I think that the way that Habib Nurmagomedov fights is going to give Dustin Poirier uh, opportunities here. And that's what makes it interesting because clearly he has the power to put you away. Yeah. And Dustin Poirier doesn't exactly blow you away in any one area, but he's just kind of good all around. Like you said, you know he's going to show up in shape and, and be ready there. And I'm interested to see what he and his team will have come up with as an answer to Khabib Nurmagomedov's game. Because like you said, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I don't game plan too much or I don't worry too much about what my opponent's going to do. But obviously you go into a fight with this guy yeah. and you know takedown defense is going to be important. Yeah, I think that they are planning to have to fight off their back and have to get up. And, you know, I think it would be foolhardy to approach a fight with Habib Nurmagomedov and think he's not going to take me down. Like, yeah, dude, he's going to take you down. And it's going to be all about minimizing the damage that he is able to do from that position. It's going to be all about, you know, attacking off your back when you can, but I think probably more importantly, seeing if you can work back to your feet or get a restart and, uh, you know, not, 
expending as much energy as we've seen people expend in the past so that if you do get that opportunity and get back to your feet, you know, you can do something with it. Uh, and to me, that's, it's just like a fascinating matchup of styles. And I think that given what we've already seen for Habib Nurmagomedov, obviously he's the huge favorite for a reason, but at the same time, like, uh, I feel like Poirier is, is one of the guys who poses a, an interesting question for him. Yeah. Well, it is an interesting question to go into from Poirier's perspective because you do have to ask yourself, where do you want to spend your time when you're preparing for this fight and how are you going to choose to think about it? Are you going to say, hey, it's unrealistic to think we won't ever get taken down. So let's think about what happens then. Let's yeah. look at how he has beaten other people here and think about what we can do, like accepting that as at some point inevitable that we're going to get taken down and then think about how we're going to deal with it from there. Because then I think the problem you get into is you start accepting that you're going to play his game. And when you you play that game, he's so damn good at it. Especially like if you spend too much of your time in this fight with your back up against the fence, whether you're actually being taken down or not, you got a problem. Yeah. Cause he's just so good from that. He doesn't even, he shoots in and he doesn't need to take you down right away. He shoots in and all he really needs to do is to grab a hold of some part of your leg and then work from there. And he's so good at just, you know, you, you've seen it, especially I went back and was watching his fight with Conor McGregor where initially the initial takedown, it looks like Conor McGregor is going to stop it and gets in a good position to kind of stop it from there. And then he just keeps after it, keeps after it. And the next thing you know, you, you go from being like, okay, now I'm, I'm kind of on my butt to now I'm flat on my back. Yeah. And he's so good at getting people to kind of enter that, that spin cycle with him up against the fence. And that's how he beats you is not just by overwhelming you right away. He just gets a little bit like one step ahead of you. You're trying to catch up. Now he's two steps. Now he's three. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're too far behind. And what people end up doing is, especially as you get tired and you, you, that pace wears on you, you get kind of tired and lazy. And instead of thinking like, all right, here are the step-by-step things I know I need to do in order to climb back into like and get even again. Instead, you're going, what's the low percentage chance I can take to just get out of this bad position right now? And the next thing you know, he's on your back and he's cranking the shit out of your chin. Yeah. Well, I mean, American Top Team has been pretty good. Yes, lately. yeah, they have. And uh, Mike Brown is is one of Poirier's primary coaches, one of his best friends. Uh, I knows think, his way around the wrestling room. I think we can can assume that Poirier is going to be as well prepared for Habib as you could be headed into this spot. Whether or not that makes any difference, we'll find out, I guess, on Saturday. Um, as I was talking to Poirier for. My the feature that came out today on the Athletic about him. One thing that I noticed about him is that like he is kind of a guy that throughout his entire career, promoters have called up to come to their town to like thinking that they're going to get over on him, and it is more often than not worked out in Poirier's favor. Like the way that he got his first contract in the WEC when he was just six and zero and and was still back in the Fightville days was beating up people on the Louisiana MMA scene was that ringside MMA had him go to Montreal to fight Derek Gouthier, who was like a hometown guy and Poirier knocked him out in 57 seconds. You remember how he got into the UFC? He fought Josh Grisby on oh, short notice. Yeah. Like Grisby was supposed to fight Jose Aldo. This was shaved head Dustin Poirier. Yeah, he's, right? Grisby was supposed to fight Jose Aldo for the featherweight title, but Aldo pulled out with an injury. So the UFC got uh, Dustin Poirier to come in on short notice uh, and Poirier just beat Grisby for 15 minutes. Uh, like one of the more shocking, because that was back when Josh Grisby was supposed to be the next big thing. Like uh, uh, he was the the hot heralded prospect Poirier comes in, just beats the tar out of the guy pretty much for 15 minutes. And frankly, like Grisby never got back there to that, uh, to that level. And then you like, you can go ahead and fast forward all the way to the Max Holloway fight where like, man, leading up to that fight, we were all talking about Max Holloway and what a bright future he was going to have at lightweight and all the super fights we could make. And then he showed up and it turned out he didn't really, couldn't really account for the power difference. And now Dustin Poirier is fighting for the title. So like, I agree that this is about as arduous a task as you can have in mixed martial arts to go to Abu Dhabi and fight Habib in an arena that's probably going to be full of Russians uh, and try to win. But I also think that like it fits in with the kind of stuff Dustin Poirier has been doing kind of his whole career. Yeah. And honestly, if you were going to ask me what, 
camp I want and what coaches I want training me, getting me ready for this fight. Uh, I don't. I think ATT might be my top choice here. Like, those are people where you know they're going to be able to put together a solid game plan, where you know you're going to be able to find people around in the room that can help you and, and mimic some of that style for you, and then they can all send you in there with something where you feel like you actually have a shot at being the first guy to do this. You think uh, Masvidal's like, hey, man, find a grappler? I'll tell you what you do, man. Check this out. I'll tell Check you what you out. do. Yeah. Just sprint across the cage. Flying knee right away, bro. Yep. Why not? Eight-second flying knee. Jesus Christ. If Dustin Poirier goes out there and pulls <laughs> off, the the AT, it will be known then as the ATT flying knee. Do you think, okay, if you're going to fight Habib Nurmagomedov, are you like, you know, why the hell not? Why not sprint across the cage and try to throw a flying knee first? Because he's probably going to take you down anyway. Or are you like, no way, no way in hell am I like throwing my legs into the arms of Habib Nurmagomedov right at the beginning of the first round? I don't know. I I would veer a little more towards why the hell not, except the difference is I think one of the reasons that worked on Ben Askren is that no one's ever really put that on him before. Habib has a lot more high-level MMA experience against yeah. like really tough people and I think probably feels like he has more of an all-around game so that he won't panic and go straight into let me change levels, drop down for a wrestling takedown uh, when you just go running at him. I, I don't know. So it might not be as effective there. It's also, though, interesting, like, in watching, rewatching that Conor McGregor fight, McGregor tries to pressure him early, like, to try to basically be like, don't let this guy get started coming forward and walk you down and pin you up against the fence, and then the takedowns get a lot easier for him. Instead, Get up in his face, push him back to the fence, make sure that you have all this space behind you to sprawl into and retreat from the takedown to when you need to. And like try to put the the pressure on him so that he'll feel forced to shoot when he doesn't want to, like before he's ready, before he's really set it up the way he wants to. And for a second there, it looked like maybe that might work. Yeah. And then he got in on that first takedown, which again, Conor McGregor started by defending somewhat well, but then just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And the next thing you know, he's got you. I mean, he, he doesn't have a whole lot of tricks in the bag, but man, he's really, really good at the ones he does. Yeah. He doesn't seem to need any tricks whatsoever. Uh, both of these guys have said Tony Ferguson is next after this. Do we buy that? Tony Ferguson, are we going to put together, let's say Habib, this thing plays out according to chalk and Nurmagomedov wins. We're going to put together, Tony Ferguson, Habib Nurmagomedov for the 11th time or whatever it is. We're going to have somebody ready. We're going to have a backup ready for that. But yeah, I think whoever wins, unless there's some weird controversy where we get into do it again, brother mode, it's got to be Tony Ferguson next. And I'm glad that both these guys agree on that and they have said that. And I want us all to remember that. <laughs> I want Let's call Conor McGregor and ask him to be ready in case... Tony Ferguson pulls out with an injury because I just want to hear how that phone call goes. How about this? Let's make sure that Conor McGregor doesn't have access to his phone when this one ends. Because I don't need very online <laughs> Conor McGregor <laughs> popping up. You know he's re- you know he's got a couple tweets in drafts already for various outcomes of this fight. Yeah. Well, if I had to guess, I would say keeping Conor McGregor away from his phone is something that uh, easier said than done. Yeah, okay. Let's just say that. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, Bellator 226, Saturday night from SAP Center in San Jose, California. As we have talked about at length on this show, Tempting the MMA gods here with your heavyweight title main event. Ryan Bader putting the championship on the line against Czech Congo. The rest of this main card is nothing but featherweight fights. Uh, four of them from the ongoing or about to start, about to jump off featherweight Grand Prix. Emmanuel Sanchez versus Taiwan Claxton. Pat Curran versus Adam Boric. Uh, Daniel Strauss versus Derek Campos. And Sam Cecilia versus Roberto de Carvalho. So, like... I'm ex- actually excited for the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix. I feel like if you are a hardcore MMA fan, this is something that you're going to want to watch. I feel like Bellator has put together a compelling bracket 
I feel like they have done it the right way. I believe they are doing a thing where you can reseed after the first round or two, something where it's like, like that. There's the opening round matchups and then like the pride style. Then yeah. We'll see what we got. Yeah. After that. Uh, which frankly, I think is the right way to go. Uh, I'm excited to see what Adam Boric can do after beating uh, Aaron Pico in their last fight. Taiwan Claxton is one of these guys who feels like uh, one of the young Bellator undefeated stars that's kind of ready to break out, but has yet to really, you know, find his lane over there. Obviously, Sam Cecilia, a guy we know from the UFC, Pat Curran, Daniel Strauss, some some known names. Uh, what one thing are you looking forward to the most here, either from this tournament or from Bader versus Congo? Well, I guess the thing that is most encouraging to me is when I see this this card as a whole, I see Bellator's plan is starting to take shape and starting to look like it can actually work. Because we've been talking about this for a long time. Is If you're a Bellator, how do you close the gap between you and the UFC? And how do you find some kind of long-term viability? And what we're seeing now is you've got in the main event kind of the fruits of your heavyweight tournament, which was really ambitious and had a lot of things that could have gone wrong to it and didn't. You you got pretty lucky there in, in a yeah. lot of ways. You you emerge with your light heavyweight champion moving up to the heavyweight tournament, winning the belt there, and it just ends up being like a fun and yet weird thing that has happened. And also from that tournament, you got – a brief resurgence of Fedor Emelianenko, which kind of made us feel surprised and, and weirdly good. And then you're able to pair that with, okay, we're doing another tournament starting in a different division where we actually have a lot more talent. And you get people in the door with one of them, hey, heavyweight title kind of stuff, but also featherweight tournament. And you're building something that you can really use in the future. It's like, honestly, some of the most encouraging stuff that I've seen and makes me think that maybe we underappreciate Scott Coker and what he brings to Bellator because it's not like he walked in with a great situation with a, uh, you know, the car is all gassed up, ready to go. Yeah. He had to do a lot of work to build it up to get to the, where you're at this point right now. And this is exactly what we had said you got to do eventually for Bellator. You can't just get by on buying UFC castoffs or, or, you know, snaking away people here or there. Uh, when they hit free agency, you got to be able to build something yourself for the future. And you're being able to pair your know, winner of your heavyweight tournament, the start of your featherweight tournament. That's some of your own stuff. And you're filling in this, this niche that the UFC doesn't even want to mess with, won't even do any tournaments. And you're going, Hey, not only are we doing a whole bunch of them, but, uh, you're still seeing the after effects of the last one we did. Yeah. Well, and you know Scott Coker loves a tournament. He does love a tournament. Old like, school martial arts guy, Scott Coker. If you just called Scott Coker up and asked him what he wanted to do of a Saturday, he'd probably be like, put on a martial arts tournament. He he loves it that much. The thing that I really like about this Bellator featherweight tournament is that, well, I don't think that it provides sort of the, uh, the like, uh, kind of outlandish fun of a heavyweight tournament. Like this thing is pretty damn deep to be honest with you uh 16 fighters in it i told you about the the matchups that are coming up on saturday night then at bellator 228 next or uh later this month september now isn't it yes damn just started time just flies yep later this month bellator 228 uh patricio pitbull obviously the champion who to their credit bellator puts the damn champions in these tournaments which I think is cool. He's going to be fighting Juan Archuleta. That's the main event and also part of the featherweight bracket. You got AJ McKee uh, against Georgie Karatanian. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, Darian Caldwell against Henry Corrales and uh, Daniel Weichel against uh, Saul Rogers, all of which are Bellator featherweight Grand Prix fights. So like many of the most intriguing and best fighters in Bellator are in this tournament. I think you have the a high probability of getting a bunch of really good fights out of this thing. And uh, I'm legitimately excited to see how it plays out, which for Bellator or frankly for anything in the mixed martial arts world right now, I feel like that's kind of an achievement to like actually make me feel a good amount of excitement about who's going to win this damn yeah. tournament. Yeah, like absolutely. You have done something there. I mean, and that is honestly the one of the things that we have always said that we love about a tournament. It gives anything the immediate sense that it really, really matters. It's yeah. in a tournament, man. Yeah. 
<laughs> How could it not matter? And it's just like it's a perfect mix of the champion and guys we know and veterans like Sam Sicilian, Daniel Strauss, Pat Curran, and then young up and coming guys uh, like Adam Borch and and uh, Taiwan Claxton and AJ McKee. So like, yeah, man, it's everything you could want, frankly, in like a 2019 MMA tournament. Well, yeah, and seeing. Like some homegrown talent. Like this is one of the divisions where you have some guys where you're like, okay, these guys just feel like Bellator guys. This is not guys where the UFC made them into somebody we care about and then you bought them later when UFC wasn't willing to match the price or whatever. Some of these guys are guys where they are yours. You really brought them up, brought them to our attention, and now you're doing some business here. And that's exactly what we said Bellator needed to do but also felt like it was going to be really hard to do. The tournament helps you do that so much. Yeah. Also, I mean – you kind of look out in the sense that you, you know, the UFC is in Abu Dhabi this weekend, got a big time event there. We're all going to want to see that one, but it's also it's early in the, the day. day. Yeah. And here you are back home in the cozy confines of the SAP Center, which the hardcores will still call the HP Pavilion down there in San Jose. Is that what the hardcores call it? Yeah, still sure. calling it the HP Pavilion? Called the HP Pavilion. Yeah. Those uh, are the, the Hewlett Packard hardcores yep. or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Old school. Okay. Old yeah. school. Uh, but, you know, back there, right right in the bosom where you want to be if you're Scotty Cokes in San Jose, and uh, you got yourself a pretty good card. I mean, if you were in the area there and you're like, okay, yeah, sure, we're going to pregame, we're going to be at a sports bar or something, we're going to watch and see uh, Khabib and Dustin Poirier do the damn thing, we got to see that, uh, and then we're going to sip a couple Red Bull vodkas to get up for tonight's event down there at the SAP. It's a good card. Yeah. I can probably skip the... Uh, 18 fight prelim or whatever it is you're looking at and just show up in time and get my featherweight tournament on. I mean, plenty of time to find parking. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's just say that yeah. there are a shitload of prelims on this. Yes. Thing. Yeah. Wow. I was joking, but three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I'm counting 14. Fight. That's the prelims. That's not the entire event. That's just the prelims. <laughs> this is one of those weekends where like if your lifestyle will afford it and you are an MMA fan, you can basically just sit in front of your television from Friday night until Saturday night and be entertained the entire time. Yeah, so, I'm sure that won't do anything weird to your brain eventually anyway. No, I wouldn't worry about it. No, it'd be fine. All right, Ben, you want to do your uh, just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week? Yeah. Uh, Chad, this week I'm just saying, what are you doing, Henzo Gracie? What are you doing? You see what your man Henzo was up to? I, I shudder to even think. You know I love me some Henzo Gracie. I just like the guy. He's a fun guy. He's a, a really charismatic guy. But he's he's down with the uh with he's he's a Bolsonaro guy down there in Brazil. Okay. He's a big Bolsonaro supporter. Uh and now he's on social media Henzo Gracie talking shit to the French president Emmanuel Macron, calling his wife ugly. Okay, I'm sure that hits uh Macron, right, right where it hurts. Just, how did it come to this? How did it come to Henzo Gracie talking shit to the French president on social media? Because that's just not a beef I saw coming, man. I mean, everyone, 2019, everyone's on social media. Everyone's opinions deserve equal consideration. I'm just saying, maybe they don't. <laughs> maybe they don't. Just saying. I'm just saying. Well, Ben, have you noticed that way down on the prelims of Bellator 228, obviously AJ McKee is fighting on the main card, Antonio McKee is scheduled for a return in a 165-pound catchweight fight. Wait, what? You you remember Antonio McKee, yeah. the father of AJ McKee, uh-huh. 49-year-old mixed martial well. artist? I don't see him on this card. He's on uh, 228. Bellator oh, 228. Okay. Catchweight, 165 pound fight against William Sirapal. First fight since 2014 for Anthony McKee. I'm going to go ahead and piggyback on that. Antonio McKee. Yeah, I'm sorry. Antonio McKee. I'm going to piggyback on that with uh, Ricardo Arona. Or I'm sorry, Ricardo Almeida. Jesus. Uh, talking to Guillermo Cruz from MMA Fighting. Talking about how even though he's retired from MMA and he's coaching people. Here's his quote. I still can't hit pads because I think if I hit pads, the next step will be start sparring again. And then I get my mind, get it in my mind that I want to fight again. 
Almeida told MMA Fighting. I'm afraid to give it too much thought, you know? I guess I'm just saying this week, seems like we see a couple of examples here of our old uh, uh, comparison that being a retired fighter but still hanging around fight gyms, kind of like being a recovering alcoholic, still working in bars. Ricardo Almeida doesn't want to hit pads because he knows what will happen. Next thing, he's out there fighting Antonio McKee. That's what happens next. Just saying. Just saying. I really appreciate the self-awareness on your dude, Ricardo Almeida. Well, yeah. He, he knows what's up. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the show in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website. You click the link. Uh, email the podcast in the top right-hand corner. That'll get us in touch with you. We will be back on Monday to catch you up on all the stuff that happens uh, on this loaded weekend of MMA action. And then, of course, all of the Patreon uh, properties kick off with Wednesday live chat. The voting for the first ever ever listener generated movie club selections. I believe we got the prestige going up against the conversation voting now live for a couple more days over at the Patreon website. You can get on there and vote. Uh, from Wednesday, we'll have one week to watch the winner of that vote. And then the following Wednesday, we will record the co-main event podcast movie club selection. And then on Friday, we'll be back again with the power hour until then though, we are done. We are through. We are out. So I think we learned some valuable lessons from trying to do a live stream this way. The first lesson is don't, Yeah. don't do it this way. People are not, not too happy with the audio no, I don't product. So. I don't think so. Don't trust me to bring all the stuff I need to bring. Now we've had two this fairly recent so examples. The same came so close. You only forgot one thing. Yeah. It was pretty vital. Though.